Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome David Brown, a music biographer, journalist, and senior writer for Rolling Stone. David has written countless articles for Rolling Stone, the New York Times, as well as other publications. David has also written books such as So Many Roads, The Life and Times of the Grateful Dead, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, The Wild Definitive Saga of Rock's Greatest Supergroup, and other books just like those two. Welcome, David. How are you today? I'm pretty good, Sam. How are you? I am all right myself. It's not every day I get to talk to uh, someone who's written quite as much as you about music. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, happy to be here and to uh, chat with another fellow music fan. Yes, well, it's always nice talking about music. I certainly enjoy it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what got you interested in music journalism? I was probably around your age, uh, although long ago, and started buying music magazines. And this is all pre-internet, I'd say it. But you know, I grew up uh, loving music as a, as, as a little kid, growing up in New Jersey. I had two older sisters who had record collections and all that. And yeah, when I was a uh, an early teenager, I bought my first issue of Rolling Stone, and there were other rock magazines at the time, and uh, reading the work of uh, people like, say, Cameron Crowe, uh, among others, in Rolling Stone, and just thinking, um, you know, just thinking, boy, that, that looks like a fun job. You know, you, you get to write about music, musicians and review records and, you know, go on the road with a band. It sounds like I'm describing almost famous here, but you know, it, it just made a big impression on me. I always liked to write when I was a kid, I, a little kid. I liked to write little short stories and things like that, and I loved music. And it just seemed like a great combination of those two passions. I had no idea if it was a viable profession for me to go into, but I just kind of went with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to have worked out. You know, you're at Rolling Stone, you're, <laughs> you're writing books. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm very uh, grateful and fortunate to have been doing it uh, as long as I have, yes. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it started for me in high school, too. Uh, I started writing record reviews for my uh, high school newspaper in Clifton, New Jersey, and um, then just kept going. You know, went to, went to NYU for um, journalism and minored in music, and again, just thought, well, you know, I'll just uh, I'll see where this can take me. But it, it was it was interesting, I will say, in, in, I hadn't thought about this in a really long time, but in high school, writing record reviews in my high school paper, I do remember um, how interesting it was to get reactions to things. I remember writing a bad review of a Rod Stewart album. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, and, you know, I would hear people in the hallways afterwards, not even knowing I was standing there, just like one person saying, oh, I, oh he's right, and another person saying, no, I was, he's totally wrong. <laughs> you know, this album's great. Uh, and I was like, wow, this this stuff really uh, can impact on people. Yeah, I mean, certainly with uh, with some of the the things by Rolling Stone, like a lot of your your top five hundred rankings, you know, those are the the big ones. But you also have some like hundred best country music ones. I I believe that's one. Hundred best country albums we recently country did. Albums. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, what is the process of working on those countdowns? Um, the process is, uh, well, we come up with an idea for one of them, and uh, we have a reviews editor, not me, who kind of oversees them all, and we will basically um, either have a meeting or, you know, well, now it's more like uh, a Google Doc or something because of uh, uh, COVID. Not everybody's always in the office, um, and you just... Uh, People will just add in their suggestions, and 
um, and there'll be this massive list, and we'll have more meetings, and uh, or 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 do it via Google Doc again, and people will um, weigh in on what should or shouldn't be there, or argue, make the case, you know, for or against something. And then uh, John, our reviews editor, <laughs> has the has the glorious job of dealing with all that feedback and. Uh, you know, pulling together a final list. And I think, you know, we have, we've been working hard to uh, update a lot of our lists. You know, we did a uh, Greatest Albums one, oh God, I don't know, maybe it was 20 years ago, I'm forgetting the date already. But, you know, we have a lot of lists that were done 10, 20 years ago that are out of date because there's a lot of great music that's come out since then. So we've been working to um, update those lists. Uh, the 500 Greatest Albums one that was uh, rolled out maybe two years ago had, you know, a lot of, uh, was it was a great example of that. Um, I think we had the uh, singles list from a year ago, similar so where we really, um, especially get our younger staffers involved to uh, contribute um, their thoughts as well, and and uh, uh, and and make them as make these lists not just a, a museum of old music, but but to make them as a, a blend of classic and contemporary stuff. And that's actually been kind of fun to you know. I think it's like probably upset a lot of fans, you know, that uh, Sgt. Pepper wasn't the greatest album of all time now. We had uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, and things like that. And, and of course, some people get rattled by that. Some people think it's a great change. Um, and you just have to kind of, you know, sit back and uh, just look at the reactions, kind of, kind of enjoy it. Yeah, well, are there any rankings you really disagree with on any of those countdowns? <laughs> uh, I don't have any of them in in front of me right now. Uh, I'm sure there were a few. I don't want to get specific, but yeah, there were there are always some here or there where you say, "What is that doing in the top 20? But it goes with the territory. And uh, I mean, for the most part, for the most part, the, the things that are there, I I, I I think should be on the list. But it's always a question: of, Should it be that high? Should it be that low? Um, and um, you know. Try not to get. I, I try not to. I've, I've done a number of these lists at this point in my career. I worked on a number of them, and so I try not to get too rattled by it all. I think other people on Twitter and so forth get a lot more rattled, rattled than 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 we do, and get angry about it. So, how do you decide who you're going to write about when you're starting a new book? Um, a good question. Uh, it usually, um, I mean, it's, it's always about something I'm really sort of passionate about and uh, who I maybe feel um, haven't been covered as super in-depth in books. Um, so, I mean, you know, my very first book was a, a biography of the late Jeff Buckley and also his father, Tim Buckley. And I started that like a year after Jeff died. He drowned in which was 1997, and that was I had been following his career, you know, a brief career, but I've been following it up to then. I had, had interviewed him and loved his album Grace, and so when he died, I and I just felt, and especially knowing the backstory of his father being a musician who also died young, that this was an incredibly um, powerful story to me, anyway, and uh, just went with that. And in other cases, you know, it's a um, you know, I uh, I remember um, I did a book on the Grateful Dead, and uh, I grew up listening to that band and loving their records and, and their music. Um, and um, when I started writing for Rolling Stone in the late 2000s, the Grateful Dead reunited, or some of them anyway, and they put me on that beat. And so I kind of got re reintroduced to their music and actually got to interview you know, 
some of the surviving members for the first time, and that kind of reignited my interest in that. And and and, and when it came time a few years later to I thought about doing a new book. I thought, well, you know, there actually, at that point in time, there had only been one other biography of the dead, which at that point had been, came out 10 or more years before that. So I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time for another more comprehensive one, or I shouldn't say more comprehensive, but equally comprehensive one from a different perspective. So there's a lot of different factors. You know, I did a book on Sonic Youth, another band I love, and my next one was more about classic rock, which I think made my wife happy because. She didn't have to listen. Spent several years hearing Sonic Youth records playing around the house, and got to hear Simon and Garfunkel instead. Um, there's all kinds of uh, all kinds of reasons um, for it. Yeah, well, so it sounds like you've met quite a few people in in some of your books. Uh, yeah, yes, I have. Um, don't always get to interview the the people you want, but yes, I've I've um, uh, I, I one of the things about my books is I, I I try to do as much primary source research as I can, which interviewing the people interviewing people who are still available and alive, basically, uh, and I've had a fairly good track record with that. You know, I don't like my books to be just cobbled together from other other people's interviews or old old articles. Uh, I like to, um, and that's, that's kind of the fun aspect of it, you know, tracking down people who, you know, for, well, to go back to the Grateful Dead book, you know, there were there were members of their road crew, for example, uh, and former, you know, girlfriends and whatever who had never spoken before and uh, had never spoken for previous books before. And I reached out to them and they were happy to talk to me. And so I was able to get, you know, lots of kind of new information and new insights uh, from different perspectives from those people. And that's, that's the, the fun part of it all. And one of the things I've certainly learned is, um, some of the best stories don't always come from, you know, the stars, because some of those people, you know, especially if they're rock stars who've been around for a long time and have done many interviews, <laughs> that they, they tend to, you know, have the same kind of stories that they tell over and over again. And, um, or they or they just have forgotten stuff, and uh, it, it's it's from those those other people, uh, those people kind of more on the sidelines who observe things, where you get um, get a lot more, uh, often a lot more, uh, a lot fresher information and 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 more detailed information about certain things that uh, that the, the the main characters have possibly forgotten. Yeah, well, I mean. Not that I have anywhere close to as much experience with you with uh, interviewing people, but I can definitely like I guess agree with that. Like some of some of the interviews I've had, um, the people that I've been least expecting to be like the great interviews, you know, have turned out pretty well. So, you know, I can't complain. I I I get better interviews out of people. I guess. <laughs> that's well, yeah. Who who was your best one? Oh. That's tough. Um, <laughs> I know people ask me that all the time, and I never, uh, I, I say the same thing. Yeah, let's see. I mean, I've had a couple of ones that have been really fun. I talked to Lee Oscar. He's a harmonica player. Oh, um, from from War. Yes, oh, from War. Uh -huh. Oh wow. Okay. That was a fun one. Now, what led you to Lee Oscar, who was uh, probably something your parents or grandparents were listening to fifty years ago? Well, you know, I um. I'm into, as people call it, I guess, dad music. Um, okay. A lot of the music I listen to now, pretty much all of it, honestly, is music that came out in my parents' generation. Um, because I guess that's that's what I was raised on. You know, my first memory ever is me begging my dad to put Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the CD player. 
Um, okay. Yeah. So I guess I I listened to a little bit of War, and I was like, hmm, that that could be interesting. So that's where I found Lee. That's well, that's great. I mean, that's uh, the last thing I, the answer I would expect to get from a high school student who interviewed a musician <laughs> would be a member of War. But so more more power to you because yeah, they were they made some great records and. It's great that you um, that you did that and sort of you know that you've um, dug that deeply into the uh, the crates of music history. Yeah, well, I often wonder, like for people your age, uh, or I have a daughter who just turned twenty. Um, how do you deal with the enormous amount of music that's available on you know Spotify? I mean, or anything. I mean, um, it just you know you're dealing with you're dealing with about almost seventy years worth of sort of rock and roll and post rock and roll music you know if you if you think that you know a lot of it started in the early to mid 50s it's almost 70 years ago and that's that's an, a massive amount of music to to have to try to grapple with um, so how how do you do it well it's certainly tough i'll i'll tell you that much um mm-hmm. i really like i would not call myself a master of all music by any means I like to consider myself like I like to think I know a lot about music, but then pretty much every day I figure something new out, like whether it's a new band, a new album by a band. So to answer your question, like I really I can't grapple all that music. I try to get the best understanding I can out of everything, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's tough. But to me, I'm just... I like music and I I take it as a gift, you know, I get all this music at my fingertips and I get to listen to pretty much whatever I want. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, well. Um I mean there was I was I was talking to a uh another student recently and um had to explain the concept which is I know completely foreign at this point that there was a point when I was say your age or into my 20s when um if a record came out and didn't sell well was a flop or something, um, it would just be discontinued mm. by the record company. This is, again, before the Internet. It would just be out of print, and it would be pulled from the record stores, and it would just be gone. And uh, you would have to... Um, so there was you know, so much stuff. Um, for example, when I was growing up, the Velvet Underground catalog was all out of print because those records... Um, didn't sell well <laughs> when they came out in the 60s. And, you know, um, I remember once in a while you'd see a copy of the Velvet Underground and Nico, their first and, and great album, um, uh, for sale in, a, in like a you know used record store. And it would always be like behind the counter because it was so rare. Like you didn't want people even touching it. But the price would always be, I don't know, $50 or something. Wow. $100. I didn't have that kind of money as a kid. And also I didn't, I didn't even know if it was any good. I'd never heard it. So I was like, I don't have $50 to spend on a record. and I don't even know if I should. <laughs> but, you know, now, of course, you know, the entire Velvet Underground catalog, and is, among other things, is right there for you. Um, so, you know, there was a, a for, you know, for a lot of us, we had, really had to hunt things down. You had to, I spent many, many hours <laughs> uh, in beautiful sunny days in New York City in record stores, you know, flipping through bins and looking for stuff and a dollar the dollar bins, you know, um, that was out of print, you know, and, and it was always very exciting when you find it. Um, so it's very different now, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot more time has passed, and there's a lot more music. But uh, so, on one hand, it's probably overwhelming for folks like you. But then again, you know, 
God, part of me wishes that that had existed, you know, when I was younger too, and it was all just right there for you. Yeah, well, didn't need to have fifty dollars <laughs> <laughs> for a Velvet Underground record. Yeah, I certainly feel lucky. You know, like I'm personally a huge Big Star fan, and they mm-hmm. they uh, commercially didn't really sell well. But you know, a few weeks ago, I emailed the drummer for Big Star, and I got to talk to him. So I'm. That's not on, yeah, I'm not only lucky enough to get to listen to their music, I'm lucky enough to get to talk to some of the, the people records, who recorded on um, Those records, when I was growing up, made the Velvet Underground records seem ex- easy to find. You know, you Big Star was the kind of group you would you would read a passing reference to them in some review to Alex Chilton, but you never saw I mean, the, those Big Star records were, uh, yeah, incredibly hard to find. They were almost mythic <laughs> in their obscurity. So yeah, it took me a long time to hear those myself. But yeah, well, they're good albums. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, can I ask you what advice would you give someone wanting to go into the music journalism field? Um, well, I would say uh, for one thing, own your research and reporting skills. I would say because I think there's uh, there's a real um, a need in our business, not just for people who uh, write essays or reviews and those things, and that's all good, but for people who can really um, get people on the phone or do the legwork and to, um, you know, really report a story and tell a story uh, with with new, you know, reporting and, and research. Um, there's always going to be a market for that. And there's still so many, I think, untold stories and, and I think there's still uh, a need to um, explain things. Uh, I mean, a good example right now could be the whole Taylor Swift um, Ticketmaster fiasco. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not re- working on that myself, but my colleagues are. And that's a case where, you know, you really want to have people uh, who aren't just like writing some diatribe about Ticketmaster, which is fine. <laughs> they deserve it. But you know, people who can really reach out to uh, sources in the ticketing world and who can say, well, how did this happen, you know? Um, uh, and and I think, um, so I would always uh, recommend that. I would also just recommend um, not just writing about one genre, which yeah, happens a lot these days. And, and, and one, in one way, it's okay. I mean, I, I you know, I, I kind of grew up liking lots of different kinds of music. And um, so uh, I think... As music started um, sort of fragmenting into different audiences, I think probably starting in the 90s, maybe 80, maybe the 80s into the 90s, you had indie rock fans, and then you had hip-hop fans, and you had electronic music fans. There, there were all these little camps. And, um, uh, you know, I started seeing writers who would only write about that one area. And there are advantages to that because you can become a super-duper expert in that little, that one genre. Me, I like a little bit of all those genres, or I love a lot of the. I love a, a little bit of every one of those areas of music. So I personally found it more rewarding. This doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but to um, but I was liked bopping around and writing about different kinds of music, uh, assuming I had enough expertise in whatever uh, it was, um, as opposed to just. Uh, Sort of narrow casting it. So again, again, that's a very personal thing. There might be somebody who, yeah, who only wants to write about hip hop, and that's great. But I, I think I think it's good to be a well-rounded music fan and music journalist. 
So do you have any favorite like songs or albums? Oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, right? <laughs> um, that's a really tough one to answer. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, like there's so much. Uh, I'm afraid to even say a couple of things because it would, <laughs> it would just, um, I'd be leaving out hundreds more. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, 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 I can't say. Um, I mean, there are probably certain genres. I just like if I'm chilling out and want to just you know listen to stuff for pleasure. I, certainly, a lot of the stuff I grew up with, you know, kind of singer-songwriter, 60s, 70s rock stuff. Uh, and then, in, you know, indie rock of like the 80s into the early 90s, REM replacement, Sonic Youth kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of uh, electronic 90s and O's music uh, that, I, that I put on. Uh, I tend to like early hip-hop more than more recent stuff, um, meaning like classic Def Jam records from the 80s. That's, I guess they call that dad rap now. <laughs> I didn't know that was the term until recently. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, yes, dad rap is now old. You know, the term for old rap. So uh, yeah, it'd probably better describe it that way. But yeah, it, it would be hard to. It'd be hard to say. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a tough question. I. I it is. It is. <laughs> I don't know if I could come up with anything myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are in the Seattle area. Yeah, we're in uh, right? Mercer Island, so right, right next to Seattle. Right. So is uh how how big does, you know, does 90s grunge uh still loom? Oh, well. Out there? Let's see. Um I don't know if it's a craze all over, but there are lots of people who wear Nirvana shirts and sweatshirts and like all hmm. sort of stuff like that. In the, your in your in your school? Yeah, in my school in my uh-huh. area. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Uh, um I don't know if half of them have even heard a Nirvana song, but you know, who's to say the the clothes are still in style, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, wow. every everyone That's dresses grunge pretty much. Not everybody, but a, a fair few. Um and there are uh, a good amount of people who do like, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, all those grunge grunge bands from here. Right, right. The uh meaning um high school, like your your peers in high school still uh, like that stuff? Oh. I mean, it's I mean, it's that music is now getting to be almost 30 years old. Yeah. So I'm just kind of fascinated to see what uh, the legacy is out there. Is it Well, I certainly am a big fan of it. You know, there are lots of people. I was talking to one of my friends and she didn't even know who Jimi Hendrix was, which mm. astounded me. So, it's and I mean that is a a little bit older than uh, Nirvana um and those groups, but I right. I feel like grunge definitely still has a cultural presence here, if not like in the music itself, in the style, in the clothes. In all of that, like everyone knows the name Nirvana, right? But is there still flannel shirts and things? Is that such a cliche? But is that, uh, is <laughs> um, that... yes, lots of flannel shirts and jeans. You see that a lot here. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, we got um, the the Mopop Museum up here, so uh, that that has. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my one Nirvana story of note, which was uh, I was having lunch with. Uh, people who worked with him at his record company uh, on the day that he died. Kurt? Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. we were, it was in New York, and uh, these are the people who did his, his publicity. And um, these are the days. And so it was, I was working at Entertainment Weekly magazine at the time, and so we were just having... Uh, these were people who came in from uh, L.A., and they wanted to take us to lunch, and 
chat. So I was there with, I think, two of my colleagues from Entertainment Weekly and these three people from Geffen Records. Um, and uh, it was yeah, it was lunch. And at one point, again, this is uh, pre-cell phone. We had just sat down for lunch and ordered our food. And a waiter came over and and, and uh, told the head the head person from the record company that there was a call for her. And uh, so she said, oh, "Excuse me, I could take the call." We're like, "Okay." Again, no, no cell phone, so she had to get up and go to some you know some office at the wherever it was she went in the restaurant, you know, the maitre d' uh, stand or something. She was gone for quite a long time. I mean, it was, I don't know, 15 minutes, a half hour, I don't remember anymore, but it was, it, was, it was a long time. And we were just sitting there, you know, chatting away. And then she came back and said, well, you guys are all going to hear this soon enough, but uh, Kurt just shot himself, he's dead. And we were all just sitting there, just stunned. And, and the food just started coming. <laughs> So all of us were like, uh, we're going to take all this food to go. <laughs> and uh, and we were all just, uh, you know, what to say. We just all got up. The record company people all got up and left right away. And my colleagues and I got up and went back to our office, which was a block away or so, and uh, told all our bosses. And we said, like, uh, holy crap, you know. Um, and... Uh, it was starting to break on the news, and we right away were like, we have to do a cover story on this and all that. But um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean... So I was I was there when when <laughs> the people who worked with Kurt at the Gurkha Company found out. So wow. Pretty... pretty uh, yeah, that pretty, must have... An intense be... moment, an intense moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, on one hand, it's got to be extremely like kind of emotional almost and then on the other hand it's like now you're so busy you got so much to write on like that that must have been you, you hardly had time to process i'm guessing um that's true that's a good perception yes exactly because uh that was a <coughs> that was a friday i think pretty sure and um entertainment weekly would go to press on a tuesday night so yeah it was like we came back and we're like what's the plan of action okay we'll send someone one of our writers literally jumped on a plane to Seattle, like, you know, as soon as he could get a flight out. And it was like, clear the decks. Um, who's going to write this? Who's going to report it? How do we, you know, what do we do? Um, what do we, let's get the photos together. Let's, you know, start doing photo research. Um, yeah, so you didn't really have time to really sit down and, and uh, you know, get, for us anyway, to... Uh, Right, right, right then and there to really, to really grapple with it. It was just that we had a job to do, and the record company people, I'm sure, were the same. They had to get back and field calls from, you know, reporters like us. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's no, true. Yeah, that's quite a story. Like, wow. <laughs> you know, when I when I got on the phone talking to you today, I was not expecting to hear about a uh, Kurt Cobain's death. But you know, here we go. I'm I'm surprised every day. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well. Given where you are, I thought I'd uh, share that. Yes, well, that's really uh, interesting. And thank you so much for talking to me, David. Like, this has been fascinating. I love hearing about music, music stories, and getting to hear from someone who works in the music fields, like writes for Rolling Stone, and that that's incredible, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for, yeah, happy to, happy to talk about it and, and 
share what I've uh, experienced and and you know uh, I think it's great you're doing what you're doing and, and all you folks at the station and and uh, uh, wish I'd had a radio station in my high school when I was growing up. Thanks, Sam. Great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I'm Sam, and that was David Brown, a journalist for a Rolling Stone magazine and a writer of music biographies. If you liked that interview, make sure to listen to uh, My Back Pages on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcasting platform for more great interviews just like this one.